Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. As you probably know by now, we are continuing in 1 Corinthians and uh, tonight we find ourselves still in chapter 9 and we read from verses 24 to 27. So if you can just find your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 24 to 27. So by way of quick recap, last week we uh, saw that the Apostle Paul gave up his rights in Christ for the sake of the gospel. And the question to us or the challenge to us was, are we willing to give up our God-given rights for the sake of the gospel? Those rights or those things that do not necessarily add to our sanctification like food offered to idols. Are you willing to not eat meat again for the sake of the gospel? Tonight we'll see Paul is going to end this section with the spotlight on himself where he says the Christian, if the Christian ministry was a race, then I am running for the prize. He was running not for the participation award, but he was running to win. So the question tonight is, why do you run? What is the carrot that keeps you going? What is it that motivates you? What is it that helps you to, to endure the difficulties that come with running this race of God-given gospel ministry? So last week I did share that I don't get people who participate in Survivor. But then when I read this, I saw another thing that I don't get. And he starts by saying, run. And I was like... I don't get those who run. But you know what I really don't get? What I really don't get is those who run their comrades. Marathons like Survivor are torturous activities for people who, this is just me, I think are suckers for punishment. Don't get me started on those who participate in Iron Man. And I saw one of them in the room. But, but to put the comrades into perspective, I thought, Paul is talking about running. I'm obviously the wrong person to talk to you about running. So I went and I interviewed someone who is in our church, whom we all might know, whose name will not be mentioned, about the comrades marathon. Now, as I was asking him, I was thinking to myself, how far is this marathon? If you ran the comrades, think about it this way. You'd be running from Pretoria to just before Hamanskral. So just before you get to Peto's abode. If you ran the comrades, you'd be running from here to Midrand. If you ran to com the comrades, you'd be running from here to Mabopani. In fact, you'd be running from here to just before Rosebank and maybe 10 kilometers before Benoni. Comrades is far. It's 42.2 kilometers long. Not only that, to run the Comrades Marathon, you need to run 1,002 kilometers before the race. That amounts to 200 kilometers a month for six months. Quick math. These kilometers need to be spaced between sprints, short runs, and half marathons. Not only that... You need to go to the gym. You need to go to gym for conditioning. You need to work on your core. You need to work on your legs, basically growing in strength. 
Not only that, you need to change your diet. You need to cut out the spatulas. You need to cut out the McDonald's. You need to cut out the fizzy drinks. You need to replace these things with fruits, with vegetables, and good protein. Not only that, you need support from friends and family. You need to find a person who's as wild as you and wants to run. You need to find someone who will help you to train and hold you accountable. Not only that, you need to do your research. You need to read running magazines, listen to podcasts, run previous races, and then you need to plan the day. Now, all of this is just in preparation. What happens at the actual race? It starts with a burst of adrenaline, there's a loud cheer, everyone is running, there's a vibe, there's a sense of excitement, we've made it, we're running together. One kilometer is gone before you know it. Five Ks, psh, gone. Ten Ks, oh man, I am going to finish this race and then reality kicks in. Pain. As the, rain, as the race goes on, you get pain in your hips. This is what I've heard. You get pain in your joints. You start feeling nausea as you get dehydrated. Your body struggles to move, but you know if you stop moving, you will not get started again. And then the question starts to flood your mind. Why are you running? <laughs> Why am I doing this? Why am I punishing myself like this? And then you remember the reward. You remember the purpose. For many, the reward is just finishing their comrades. For others, the reward is, man, I need to make a certain time. Others are actually competing to win. We see again this week that the reward is worth the work. The reward is worth the self-control. The reward is worth the run. So why this long illustration on the Comrades Marathon, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 to 27? The Apostle Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray together. Lord, I am only a vessel in your hands. God, there's many things at this moment that are working against us hearing your word, hearing you speak to us through your revelation in the scriptures. God, we believe that your word is true. We believe that your word is inerrant, that your word is authoritative, that your word is sufficient for life and for godliness. So even the way we listen to it tonight, help us to listen with that belief, with the belief that God, you through your spirit are speaking to us through your word. May I not be a distraction to anyone in this room. May I not be a hindrance to your gospel work. But Lord, may your word come forth in power to change and transform lives into the image of Christ. God, won't you remove all distractions? 
Lord, give us a sober mind to hear your word that we may apply it in our lives. Lord, help us to understand it to the point that we are eager to share it to those who haven't heard. So God, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So why would Paul use the illustration of running? Well, it is because he knew that the church would be familiar with those training programs and with those who participated in these big games. So we know of big games like the Olympics. There were Greek games which were similar to the Olympics. Paul wants to paint that picture of those who participate in the Olympics. They have that go-for-broke mentality. Here the Apostle Paul is painting the picture of that go-for-broke minister of the gospel. One who has not only given up material comforts for the sake of the ministry, but he has given up all things for the sake of his call. So the question tonight is, what do you need to be in competing shape? What do you need to be in competing shape? The first thing is you need to be resolved. You need resolve. He says in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. You see, determination is at the heart of every athlete. Every athlete knows that there's one winner, there's only one gold medal, so they run holding nothing back so that they are standing on that podium with the gold medal. That's where we get the phrase, go for gold. Run with a determination that nothing will stand between you and that gold medal. So two things the Apostle Paul is saying in verse 24. The first thing that he's saying is you need to run. A pretty obvious statement, but it is also often overlooked. In a race, all the runners run. Imagine, imagine you went through all that work I just described to running the Comrades Marathon, and on the day of the marathon, you oversleep. Can you imagine what will go through your mind? You see, as an athlete, you need to be in the race to win the prize. And in the race, you'll need to run. You need to compete. Likewise, unfortunately, there are many Christians who are in the race, but they are not running. They have the uniform. They attend the training sessions. They sing the national anthem, but they are not competing. The, the word run carries with it that a demand for treacherous effort, a demand for a sober mind, a demand for purpose, a demand for dedication and resolution. It, it means calling upon every ounce of energy within me to run. It means putting all your strength to emerge as the victor. And here there is no place for half-heartedness. There is no place of being lazy and there is no place for being slack. This is the challenge to Christians. In essence, as we run our race, we need to be doers, not hearers only. We need more believers sharing the gospel in every sphere of their influence. We need more believers or members of the local church who are looking for the weak among us, who are looking for the babes in Christ so they can walk them to spiritual maturity. We need more believers who will take a stand for Christ when it is the least popular option. 
We need more Christians who are not focused on building their own kingdoms, who are not focused on building their own little empires in a foreign land which will be destroyed instead of investing in the kingdom of God with their lives. We need more Christians who run. So tonight I'm calling you to compete. Get your hands dirty. Don't put it off to next year and say, next year I'll start serving. That's not promised to you. You not promised even Christmas. Give all you have now for the kingdom of heaven. Be faithful with those ordinary means of grace. Of grace. Be faithful in attending the gathering. Fight against sin faithfully. Share the gospel with your words and not just your deeds. What are you sharing? Share that we are all deserving of death because of sin. Share that we are deserving of the wrath of God because we have sinned against a holy God. But God in his mercy, in his grace, and in his love, he sent Jesus to be our substitute, taking our sin, taking our guilt, and taking our shame and punishment and giving us life in his name. This Jesus has reconciled us to the Father through faith. Share of this Jesus to the people that you know, the people whom God has put you in their presence. Not only that, When you're at church, don't just come to attend and go back home. Invite fellow believers into your life. Look to build meaningful relationships with people in your local church. Start discipleship relationships. Or if you don't think you're at the place, seek for a discipleship relationship where both you and the other party will be exhorted to Christ-likeness. Not only that, I know it's, it's November, but serve. Look for places to serve now in the local church. Support the local church financially, proportionally, and with a gracious and grateful heart as unto the Lord. The point is you need to run. Run, O believer, run. But don't just run. What the Apostle Paul is saying, run to win. Run to win. Like the athlete runs for gold, oh believer, run for your reward. Run in such a way that you can win by setting aside anything that can hinder you or hinder the reception of the gospel. Paul is teaching us in this passage, if you remember the context He's teaching in this passage that holding tightly to those liberties or holding tightly to those rights is a sure way to lose the race of soul winning. Many of the Christians at Corinth had seriously limited their testimonies because they would not limit their liberty. They refused to give up their rights and in so doing they won few but offended many. Church, offending people because you are right but not edifying is like running this race with an injury. You may cover great ground, but you will not be effective. You will not run to win. The comrades runner that I spoke to shared that they listened to those who had gone before them. They listened to podcasts. They read magazines. Likewise, we need to remember, church, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. There are those who have gone before us. There are those who have ran this race well. Where can you find them? Just go read Hebrews chapter 11. Just look around you. There are believers who have run this race. Go to Glen Haven and listen to those who have run the race. 
with determination to win, asked them, how did they do it? The writer to the Hebrews tells us how. He says in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. In verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not only should you run this race with resolve, but you need to run this race with restraint. Verse 25, run the race with restraint. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So there's nothing wrong with having pizza. There's nothing wrong with eating a burger. There's nothing wrong, honestly, there's nothing wrong with slob chips and, and warm bread and an ice-cold bottle of Coke. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with having slob chips, bread, and Coke and topping it with ice cream or chocolate cake. But if you are trying to win the comrades... These will come as hindrances. An athlete must remove those things that may be fine in themselves, but will hinder the pursuit of his goal. Likewise, the Christians must refuse the things that are fine in and of themselves. We have the right to do these things, like eating meats that may have been offered to idols, because idols are nothing, but because they may hinder the goal, we must reject these things. Likewise... The goal for the believers at Corinth may be to sacrifice a glass of wine, sacrifice going to a concert, sacrifice a type of dress, sacrifice even a style of song if it will hinder the goal to which they are to be resolved. But what is that goal? What is the goal that the Apostle Paul is calling us to run to? What is this reward to which we are to run to try to win? Well, we are told that it is not that of a temporary kind. You see, a gold medal, money, being right in a debate, a puffed-up ego, all these things are temporary. They will give you a high like a drug, but they will eventually fade like the flower or they will fade like a vapor. But the reward for the Christian athlete that the Apostle Paul is talking about here is a reward that is imperishable. But what is it? Well, again, I'll tell you what it isn't. It is not your salvation. Paul is not saying that the reward for, those, for these good works is salvation. All who run the race are those who have been already elected to the team by the Father himself. First Peter says, He has called them to be born according to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the present time. Apostle Paul here is not saying run for your salvation. 
Because you can't earn your salvation. You didn't earn your salvation and it is not up to you according to your strength to hold on to your salvation and make sure that it doesn't fumble away. From the first to last, salvation is a gracious gift that comes to us from God in Jesus Christ through faith. Any other place we might look for salvation, Paul will tell us is misleading. We can't add our own works in part of this to earn something from God. Those are the words by Jay Gerber. But think about Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Or John chapter 10, verse 27 to 29. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Listen to this. And they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So if the reward is not salvation, then what is it? Let us consider our context. If you turn to chapter 8 of 1 Corinthians and you read verse 9, you will see and remember that the Apostle Paul said, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. In verse 12 to 13 of chapter 8, he says, Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it, when it is weak and you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat again lest I make my brother stumble. And then you turn to chapter 11 and verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Verse 22 of chapter 11. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people for what purpose? That by all means I might save some. The reward that the Apostle Paul is referring to here is the salvation of souls. Athletes receive a wreath, which was a crown that the, Greek, that the Greek athletes received. But our reward is that souls get saved when the gospel is preached. And this is an imperishable reward. Paul has used this analogy of a crown before. If you consider Philippians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, he says, my joy and crown in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Or in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. The soul's of those who came to know the Lord at Corinth, at Philippi, at Thessalonica, are his joy and crown. That although it was God who saved them, he was the chosen vessel to run the race that brought them to Christ. Where is your reward? Paul is saying, run in a way that you are pursuing the highest reward. And that reward obviously is Christ himself and the salvation of souls. This, he says, will require you to exercise self-control. 
You see, self-control, if you think about preparing for a race or preparing for a, a meet at the Olympics, self-control is painful. It's a matter of giving up what you want in the short term to gain what you want even more in the long term. In this instance, Paul is saying, church, he's, he's saying even to us tonight, give up your freedoms for the short term and gain a crown that is imperishable, a crown that will last for the long term. But we must move on. To run this race, you need a route. To run this race, you need a route. Verse 26, it says, So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air. You see, when you're running a marathon, you don't just decide that you will now take a, the scenic detour. You don't run without resolve. You don't run without restraint. You don't run without a route. You run towards a finish line. You know where you are going to finish the race. Oh, church, everything you do must have a purpose. You shouldn't minister just for the sake of. You shouldn't study doctrine just for the sake of. You shouldn't serve just for the sake of. The question tonight is, why do you do what you do in Christ? Paul told us why he does it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal. The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you noticed in verse 26 that Paul has transitioned from using the uh, second person plural we to the first person singular. Like we saw last week when Paul was saying, examine my life. If I am in court, put me on the stand. My service was neither purposeless or ineffective. I didn't receive my right from you, church at Corinth, because you were supposed to support me, but I, I didn't want or ask of this right for the sake of the gospel. He says, I could give up even meat for the sake of the gospel. Likewise, church, imitate me as I imitate Christ in dying so that others might live. I still believe today that a dangerous place for a Christian to be is when they are on cruise control. When they are just coasting with minimum effort. Tim Chellis wrote, I do not coast, coast toward Christ but toward self. When I stop caring, when I stop expending effort, when I allow myself to coast, I inevitably coast away from God and godliness. And this is exactly why I'm so deeply dependent upon those ordinary means of grace, those oh-so-ordinary ways of growing in godliness. These are scripture, prayer, preaching, fellowship, worship, and ordinances. The moment those sweet means no longer appeal is the moment I begin to slow. The Apostle Paul says, do not run aimlessly. He says, I don't do it. He says, I do not box as one who is beating the air, but I run with the resolve to win. I run with restraint and I follow the route. Lastly, you need to run with discipline. Renunciation, verse 27. 
but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Oswald Chambers suggests that Paul imposed two um, imposed on himself two areas where he would apply rigorous inner discipline. And these two areas were his body and his mind. But I do want to put a caution here. Many have read verse 27 where the Apostle Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control to say that it is okay to physically harm yourself in the name of Christ. This is not what the Apostle Paul is saying. Paul, as Oswald Chambers was saying, was expressing a genuine fear, a real possibility. He had not yet competed the course. Even his vast experience and great success did not make him immune to the subtle temptations of the body. In order that his ministry should be short-circuited, he was willing to bring his bodily appetites under self-discipline as strict as that of a Spartan athlete in the arena. The Christian leader is open to the danger of being defeated through overindulgence of physical appetites or through laziness. Such an acute danger calls for stern self-discipline. At the other end of the scale is an excess of physical activity which can lead to fatigue and exhaustion. Leaders, or even Christians, must be prepared to work harder than their colleagues. But an exhausted person easily falls prey to the adversary. We should be alerted to God against both these dangers. The second area is he waged war against his thoughts. The weapons we fight with are not only the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And so we demolish arguments in every presentation that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. What is the point? Friends, it's easy to think that I will not make a shipwreck of my faith. It's easy for you to sit there and think that you will not make a shipwreck of your faith, that those who are ineffective and those who are unproductive, those who are unfruitful to their death, those cannot be me. Friends, it can we are responsible for killing everything that sets itself against God's purposes in your life. We are responsible to work out our salvation. We are responsible to bear fruit. Are you bearing fruit? Richard Baxter says, Make sure that you do not offer the bread of life to others, a bread of life that you yourself have never actually eaten. Elister Begg says one of the best antidotes to finding ourselves ever in apostasy is to be afraid of our own selves, to be skeptical of our own hearts. You see, those who don't run are those who eventually fall out of the race. Those who eventually fall out of the race have not lost their salvation, for that is not feasible. They are unfruitful, not because it is a real faith for a time and now has faded away, but it is because they might have never been truly saved to begin with. 
I mean, James tells us about the same thing in James chapter 2, that some have no real, living, active, saving faith, and James calls us a dead faith because James says faith without deeds is dead. Something that is not faith at all. So tonight, I want to call you to examine your heart. Don't just listen to this passage and and, and get distracted by running the comrades, but I want you to come back tonight and think about your own life and say, hey, is there an unwillingness in my heart to run? Is there an unwillingness in my heart to sacrifice, to discipline my body, to to exercise self-control? Is there no desire in my heart for the reward? What I'm calling for tonight is a deep searching of the heart to see if indeed the Spirit of God dwells within us. For the race requires a dying to self. It requires a walking by the Spirit, a relying on the Spirit, a running in such a way that you may receive the reward. But you cannot do this if there is no Spirit in you. You will not have this desire if the desire is not implanted in your heart. Do you have that desire? I search your heart tonight. What do you need to surrender that is slowing you down? Are you running? Maybe you are a believer. Maybe you're a believer who is running, but you're not running to obtain the reward. The question tonight is why not? Why aren't you running in such a way to receive a crown? Search your heart this evening. Who is your joy and crown? As the Apostle Paul had said, does the gospel, has the gospel influenced your life? It must be seen in your running. Run, but run to obtain the prize. Let's pray. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it with thy spirit from above. Lord, you rescued us from sin and danger. You purchased us by the Savior's blood that we may walk on earth as strangers, as pilgrims, as a son, as an heir of God. Lord, we are here to run. We are here to run with the resolve to win imperishable crowns, but to accomplish this, we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So Lord, tonight we ask, Help us to cherish the old rugged cross till our trophies at last we lay down. God, we will cling to that old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.